This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Empire. Fantasy gaming and NFTs converge. One of the elements of playing in these games is, yes, you can collect and have fun and be social and so forth. Um, you also, as a player, improves or does well over time. Um, you might see appreciation or the ability to move in the marketplace to the marketplace. That's Ryan Spoon, Chief Operating Officer of So Rare, where the future of gaming, collecting, and scarcity come together. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Ryan Spoon and I were both in Bristol working for ESPN about a decade ago. He and I were in different worlds, though, his growing the digital footprint and revenue streams of the company. I was part of the Sports Center family. But his powers for ideation and possibility were evident then at the Worldwide Leader often asked to be a front-facing spokesman for all sorts of various new initiatives. The one he is part of now at SoRare is ambitious and already successful worldwide, so catching up, which, as described, was not a surprise. Our guest this week is Ryan Spoon, who is the Chief Operating Officer at SoRare, which is a company with an NFT game in a marketplace that's had a major foothold in global soccer and is now making headwinds in the NFT market space in America with Major League Baseball. And their mission statement is to be the game within the game. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Excellent. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, to talk to you. Yeah, a curtain curtain up. Uh, Ryan and I did cross paths at ESPN for a few years. This is I guess that's just a couple of executive roles away from you, right? Like ESPN, in between you you were with BetMGM, is that right? I was at ESPN um, for almost nine years and then uh, left ESPN to go to BetMGM um, and was there for a little less than a year before joining SoRare. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about SoRare. Give me, give me the broad vision of what you guys do. So I think that the, the the best way to think about so rare is um, this amazing kind of um, intersection between uh, collectibles and and uh, and fantasy. And so if you think about uh, fantasy sports that people play in different platforms, one of those might be uh, the you know our old life at ESPN, which I I set my roster for my lineup today on for MLB. Um, here, instead of determining who your roster is based on a draft pick order or a randomness each year, the difference is our players own and buy the cards and you play a game within the fantasy game that is based on the cards of the players you root for, you collect, you, uh, believe will improve whatever the, whatever the rationale is. 
Um, and so it is an NFT-based sports game. And that sports game uh, today exists within soccer really, really well and nicely. I think there's a huge collection of uh, teams and, and leagues. We have over 250. Um, we have um, almost 2 million people playing the game. Um, and they are buying, collecting, selling, trading these cards and playing these fantasy soccer games, which we run in uh, twice a week games. Um, and, you know, one of the things we'll talk about today is that we're going to expand beyond soccer. Um, and so what's that mean? And uh, what's that mean from a game format? And we're very excited about that. Um, but it's this intersection of NFT collections, NFT creations, but around sports and specifically around the ability to create and play fantasy games. Okay. Um, give me, give me just a, a, an example of a game, a current one in soccer. We'll get to baseball in a moment, but give me a current game. What's the format? How does it work? So you create, uh, so interestingly, let me start with one thing, which is the way the cards work and those cards, there are the same number of cards for every player. So if you are Mbappe or Messi or you are someone who barely sees the, the pitch, the field. There are 1,111 cards for each player. Why is that important? Because there are different scarcities. There's a one out of one, a one out of 10, a one out of 100, one out of 1,000. But that is a set population that doesn't change. Um, and we have names for those cards. Uh, as you can see, our company name is so rare. There's a rare, those are rarities. So there's unique, super rare, rare, limited and as you collect those cards you then can play in tournaments against other players with cards of that said population so you're fighting five players in a given match week a goalie a forward so on and so forth and you click and you get just like how you play fantasy elsewhere you get points based on those scores movements etc um and then you place within your hopefully you place within that population now as you do well we hold rewards, we hold back a population of those cards as rewards for people who are playing. Uh, so one of, the, one of the elements of playing in these games is, yes, you can collect and have fun and be social and so forth. Um, you also, as a player, improves or does well over time. Um, you might see appreciation or the ability to move in the marketplace, through the marketplace. Um, and you could sell or upgrade or however you want to do that. But you also can earn rewards. Um, and then there's this other kind of whole free-to-play uh, component as well. Uh, so um, if you've never played, you go through our onboarding, you get a bunch of common cards, and you can play those games as well, still getting rewards as well. Okay, uh, one 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 one. I assume there's some kind of mystical reason for the, for the number of one 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 one. Yeah. I don't know if there's, was your word mythical or mystical? <laughs> mystical. I don't know. There's something about that number that feels no, like it, that is very a, well thought through. <laughs> yeah, I think you're giving us, I think it is, and yet you're also giving us a lot of credit. Okay. Um, I mean, it it, it, it works perfectly, and, and we have uh, two just, and I'm lucky to be a part of it, but we have two fantastic founders who like had some really core principles that uh, are embedded throughout us. Uh, Obviously, um, the ownership, you know, that is enabled by the NFT, the set populations, um, the simplicity of some of this. And one of the things that's worked really nicely is 
um, this one, 10, 100, 1,000 population uh, is really easy to grok. It's understandable. But the most important part of it is not that. It is that that number is set and that you know if you have a card, how many other cards will exist. Um, and that's just, that's a really important kind of trait of what NFTs enable, yeah. the ownership and the said population. And that allows us to build these games and, and, and for the users, the buyers, the players to understand the world they live in. Let me talk about scarcity with you for a moment. We've had a lot of guests on in the NFT space, and I've asked this question. It seems that you guys have thought this through as a core principle of what you are building here. There has been an influx of NFTs and market and, and, uh, and all sorts of marketplaces that have come out here in and around sports. As you think through scarcity for longevity of a company like so rare, how do you kind of think that through? I, for, I think scarcity is really important because it gives a framework to us to run these games. It gives a framework to the user to understand said value um, and to predict and understand kind of how the market and the gameplay will work. Now, I think what's really important for us is there are a bunch of things that NFTs are, and there's a bunch of ways that you can play with NFTs and collect and buy and sell. Some are art, some are communities, some are um, um, kind of memorializing a moment, whatever it might be. They're all, those also aren't necessarily the same thing in the same way that if you open up your phone, your home screen is filled with a bunch of things that have a common name as an app, but are not common beyond that in some regards. And so for us, the NFT is important because it enables the clear, definable ownership cycle. It enables, improves the scarcity. And those things are enablers of our gameplay. Uh, and so the NFT really is the, the enabler. It is the means to play that game. And the scarcity is really important from an understanding of the players, a predictability. Um, if there were an infinite number of uh, Mbappe cards, as an example, yeah. or as we talk about MLB and upcoming, if there were an infinite number of Otani cards, it's a much less interesting game. It's a much less interesting way to play and compete. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the partnership with MLB. What are you guys building with them? So um, we're super excited. Our, our soccer game is global. Soccer, by definition, is the most global sport. Um, and we have a global footprint. So our user base is, is um, uh, very well represented um, across the globe, um, including in the U.S. Uh, but MLB uh, and MLBPA, uh, this will be our first U.S. league, uh, you know, full league partnership. Obviously, we have MLS that's part of uh, and that we announced that uh, last week. That's part of soccer. Uh, but we'll be running with MLB um, a full uh, dedicated game similar to the structure, right? The uh, players accumulate cards and they play those in a fantasy-like game. Um, and there'll be differences in how the game works because there's differences in the sport. Obviously, um, one of the great things about baseball is it's very mathematic. It's very rhythmic. It's, uh, um, every team plays six games a week, roughly depending on weather and other factors. Um, but we'll have a balanced, interesting game that matches, uh, what makes baseball great on the field and within fantasy and also in you know, the heritage of the trading card side too. And those things will come together. 
in an MLB offering that will launch later this summer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you consider releasing new cards, um, what is it based on? Is it based on a new season? Is it based on changing teams? How do you, how do you kind of view that? Good question, important question. So we had seasons, uh, and that exists within soccer, that exists within MLB. There's obviously, um, uh, I think that's just an important trait no matter what sport or league we launch. Um, those seasons are the release of cards. Now, how you release within those cards, on day one of the season, we don't release the entire population of a player. That would be a lot to digest as a user base, also uh, as a platform. Um, but that number doesn't change. So for instance, when a player switches teams, we're not creating an entirely new population of cards. We might adjust the, uh, the card might look different. That's an interesting thing you can do in digital versus in cardboard. Um, but if you think about baseball, one of the core great parts of baseball is call-ups. Um, and one of the most exciting players, this year was someone who didn't start the roster last year, Wander Franco, as an example, right? And so we have to think about how you, um, you know, when, when people are called up and they enter the big league and so forth, what's that mean from a card creation or release cycle? But to me, that's that's going to be one of the really fun parts uh, here. Okay. Um, because it is scarce, because you have a number of users that are probably, um, that are using this probably a good amount. Um, how do you view getting people into the platform, into the game and allowing them to take part in this so that it isn't a small select group of people that are in all of these games? Good question. An important question. Again, uh, um, one of the benefits of the various scarcities is that it allows people to play in different, um, uh, categories, different price points, different collection points, different uh, fields of competition. So obviously, if if you're playing in the one of one cards, that's a different user base than the folks who are collecting the lower level limited. And of course, we also, and I mentioned this earlier, you're able to play with cards that are what we call common, they're gray, they're free. Um, and so we think we have a really nice cycle of allowing different appetites of play, different familiarity. Um, and we think some of this is also going to be really interesting and learned. If you think about, we have a big footprint in soccer. Again, global sport, global game. Uh, there will certainly be folks who uh, 
don't move over, but also try baseball and vice versa. Uh, and so I think enabling some of that as well will be an interesting dynamic. All right. Tell me a little bit about the partnership. When you talk to Major League Baseball, what do they want out of a partnership like this? What do they talk? What's important to them when they say they want to work with you on something like this? Yeah, and 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 to be clear, when we talk about with with baseball, it's and this is important. Uh, the partnership is a partnership. Uh, it's MLB. It's MLBPA. Yep. It's really important on our side that um, you know it's not just the teams and the leagues and the players, but those things all work in concert. So let me start with some high level pieces, which are I I think driving factors for. We thought a lot about this at ESPN. Um, we thought a lot about this um, in my in my existing job, and I think the leagues and the teams and the players think a lot about this. I think what we all want is to drive fandom and reach fans in different ways, and to have them engaged. And that engagement can be um, it can appear on different size screens, it can appear in different forms. It might be player specific for some people, it might be team specific or geographically specific. But I think what moves all the kind of downstream benefits. Um, starts with engagement and fandom. And so how do you reach different subsets of fans? How do you drive sustained engagement and so forth? Uh, we know, I know, fantasy is a really great driver of that. We saw that around um, ESPN. Um, and, you know, anecdotes there are our most engaged uh, digital time on site was on Sunday. Uh, where users are spending massive amounts of time on our fantasy football product. ESPN didn't air a single uh, uh, football uh, telecast on Sundays. Um, And so there are these interesting dynamics. So start with engagement and and fandom. If we do a good job there, we're growing the game. We're opening up revenue opportunities. We're opening up different marketing capabilities. Um, we're drive, you know, we're growing that footprint, and I think that's really important and healthy. And so, there's certainly an economic side to that. There's, um, and the other part is, I think we want, in the other side, we want alignment. Uh, I think in all of these relationships, you want to make sure that the different parties share in alignment together, um, and they share in incentives to grow together. Um, so if we grow the fandom and, uh, I'm confident we'll do that. We'll create different types of audiences, reach different audiences, uh, hopefully drive viewership and box score following the same way I got into baseball with yeah. my parents and box scores and weekly, uh, submissions into a fan- into written on paper fantasy. Yeah. I, listen, I'm old enough where I studied newspapers and box scores for statistics played games like Stratomatic, which was maybe yep. the first real analytic-based board game, which would be silly to a younger generation now. But So I get it. And so I, that's why I want to ask you broadly. You've worked in this side of sports. My, my version of that, before you get yeah. to the question, was waking up, looking at the Washington Post box score, yeah. and they had a hotline that they refreshed every 15 minutes, and you could dial it. <laughs> and they would tell you the latest ticker score. And then that was replaced with... Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then that was replaced with um, CNN, obviously on the you know fifty and twenty or the fives. That's right. Uh, and trying to figure out, and I'll, I'll just never forget this: tuning in and saying David Robinson scored how many points to beat Shaq, who was my idol. Yeah. In the scoring on the last day, seventy points—that's an error, right? But there, and 
you know, now we're doing that with different versions of collectibles dynamic. It's, it's awesome, uh, but it's living some of those same themes. You know, with your experience, having worked as a senior vice president of digital social at ESPN, now doing what you're doing here, having worked on the betting side for a short period of time with, with BetMGM, and talking about this is a generational gap. A lot of the people we talk to, I end up asking the question, do you think fans are different? And every time I have a conversation like this, it makes me wonder if they weren't really different. It's just technology opened up opportunity that maybe you and I didn't have. Right. And that's, that's my point. Look, the, what's amazing about right now is the technology that it can open up and the NFT. And that's why I keep saying this point on the NFT. The NFT is, is enabling us to do things we couldn't do without it. Um, and, but at the core of what's trying to be achieved, the social side, the sports fandom, the gameplay, the wanting to follow players. Uh, you know, my familiarity with Wander Franco, you can see stacks of cards behind me, um, is in large part due to being interested, excited, and invested in the, in the physical card market. So these things all kind of move in concert. The technology is just enabling us, if we do a good job, of achieving them in different ways. But they are the same core benefits, like collecting, owning, supporting fandom. Um, we're just trying to fill it in different ways than maybe existed five years ago, 20 years ago, or however old I am to have to call hotline to get a special <laughs> fielder score. <laughs> um, when you talk to your users, um, what's your, what's the feedback from them? What do they like? What do they want more of? What do they want you to create? What are you hearing from them? A couple things. One, um, people play for different reasons. And I think, uh, some people play and, and have played for a while and, um, you know, want to keep progressing and succeeding. And I think we do well in some of that. And we think a lot about right now, um, how do we make different ways to progress? So it's not just around re getting rewards and so forth. We play with folks or uh, there's a big social component to this, which I think from the product side, we've just begun to tap. We got a long way to go. But in New York a couple days ago, there was a meetup of players who seem like they know each other for a while and are meeting for the first time. Um, on Saturday, there was a meetup in Orlando for an MLS event that uh, um, was like there's a social component. That's the root of sports, right? People love fandom and rooting and playing together. Um, that's what made fantasy at ESPN so fun. Like I have the same league for 15 years of the same 12 people. Um, and then there's also this side of, and I think we have plans to tap in here, but this is opportunity of moving beyond just that week's gameplay. So if you are, um, if you're a Nationals fan and you love an upcoming prospect or you love a certain player, or maybe it's you're a Nationals fan, but you also happen to think Otani's amazing. How can we allow you to get enjoyment and play there? as a fan and a supporter and kind of fill that, um, that fandom side, not just the gameplay side. I think we're excellent on the gameplay side and we have plans to get excellent on the, you know, the fan, the collecting side, the, uh, you know, I, I listened to one of your earlier podcasts, uh, with the director from Duke. I mean, I went to Duke. I'm a huge Duke fan. Yeah. Um, uh, my card collection behind me is predominantly around. Um, and I think that is it. That might not be the best, uh, 
way to play our game, but that's an interesting <laughs> angle to say, hey, I love this person. I want to support. I believe Wander. I believe Adley Rushkin is the future. So. All right. Last thing. Um, let me go back to the partnership part of this. Um, obviously, you spoke about alignment. More engagement matters. You want fans to be into the sport. However, in the modern fashion that it is and the way that you're doing it. Is there any other side of this where the leagues or the teams or the players are hoping that this incentivizes returning to the stadium, uh, having more live experiences? How do they kind of view that? Or does it feel like this is a separate but important part of modern engagement? This is a soft answer, but I, I, I do believe, and I think we have reason to see this. And, and, and this was a large part of my attraction to that MGM. Um, it's certainly, you know, what I woke up and thought about every day at ESPN. And I have personal anecdotes as well. But the, if we do a good job here, you're watching more of the sports. You're following whether, again, whether you are doing that digitally or you're doing that on TV or you're doing that in stadium, button seat. Um, I think it is, there are going to be, and this is uncomfortable at times for uh, all of us, some of us more than others, but I might watch the Red Sox game tonight because I'm a Bostonian or because that's who my family roots for. I might watch because um, I've bet on the outcome. I might watch because my fantasy team has, uh, you know, the starting pitcher or my so rare team has, you know, three players on the roster. I think as long as whatever you're kind of mowed into that is, that is a, healthy outcome. And um, I know my Sunday football viewing habits outside of the Patriots and uh, I'm a big Tom Brady fan. So I do watch a lot of bucks. Um, but I also watch red zone very passionately to watch for the outcomes of my fantasy team. Um, I have a, I'm a big Duke fan. We talked about, I have a huge RJ Barrett card collection. <laughs> I've watched almost I watched over 70 Knicks games this year. <laughs> I root for the Celtics. That's weird, but it's awesome. Like that, that's a good thing. It's a different kind of fandom. And so I think if we do a good job, like at the, at the end of all of this, as long as we're all driving fandom and having fun, I think that's a good outcome. Yeah. Um, it just might be different outcomes. It'll be a different fandom. Yep. Ryan Spoon is the Chief Operating Officer at So Rare. Ryan, it was great catching up with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome to see you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the next Future Sport Podcast, we'll bring back an old guest who is at the forefront of athletic tracking and analytics. Also looking at new areas to, to evolve evolve our metrics, right? Like I think each year we go and, and we do a dive on, you know, what we've seen over the past over the past year, look at some of the data quality and, and what it's showing and what are new ways to, to look at it. You know, what are the new visualizations that you can do or kind of putting different metrics together. 
That's Jim Garofalo, Executive Vice President at Connexon Sports and Media, where we will discuss modern tracking technology and how the information is used for multi-purposes. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.